from? Where does, it in, where does it come from? If it's being one, being who you say you are, um, is that biblical integrity, just being who you say you are? What does the world crave? What, what is the, the, uh, the youth generation, whatever they call themselves now, Z, X, Y, you know, boomer, buster, I don't know what the, what the new term is today. They're all the same. We're all the same. Nothing new under the sun. What, what do they crave? What do they long for? They're true to themselves. All right, true to themselves. And what do they look for in others? They want, they want authenticity. I just want you to be authentic. You can see that playing out even in our political landscape, right? It really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if socialism or communism will trash every society and uh, you know in the world up to this point. They're reacting viscerally. They're reacting to to someone who's very different than the the normal politician. And what do we think about with a politician? A politician is duplicitous, right? They say one thing and they do something else. They, they lack integrity. They speak out of both sides of their mouths. And they want somebody who is, who is authentic. Um, that's what the world wants. But what they really need is integrity. They don't need authenticity. You can be authentic and godless. You can be very authentic in your, in your godlessness. And that's basically what... What they what they are, what they what they crave, what they pursue, what they need is is in is integrity. And integrity is a merger between truth and life. What you believe uh, is 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 taking up residence in you, and then you and then you live that out. That you're you're ever closing the gap between what you say you believe and what what you live. Now, no one in this room, there's nobody in this room where that gap is, is, is perfect. We, we all live at a lower level than what we know. I mean, you don't obey every single sermon. Uh, I don't obey every single sermon. But you want to, don't you? If it's true, there's that desire in your heart and you're pursuing that. So, so in one sense, it, it, integrity is acknowledging this is what God says, and this is where I'm at on that basis. Then the second part of that is pursuing it. You're ever closing that gap. Um, and the, the Spirit is working there. You're, you're at work in the Spirit, His work. Who, who completes your sanctification? Who's responsible for your sanctification? You or God? Yes, right. God and you. All right? You will not be sanctified apart from the work of of, of God in you. He began a good work. He'll continue that good work. That continuing of that work is your sanctification. But we're not, you know, frog on the lily pad. Oh, and we just, you know, let go and let God and we'll be whatever we'll be. That, that's not what you see in the Bible. Paul uses words like pursue and, and strive to the point of, of exhaustion and, and, and die to, to self and, and mortify the deeds of the flesh. And, and we looked in Timothy, you're a, you're a hard-working farmer. You're like a competitive athlete. You're like an unencumbered soldier. I mean, those are not, those are not pansy kind of words, are they? I mean, it is go after it. What am I going after? I'm going after the truth. And so integrity comes from a clear set of convictions. Biblical integrity comes from a clear set of convictions. This is true to the extent that I, I can codify those. I can, I can recognize, okay, there is a God. This is what He says about Himself. This is what He says about me. This is what He says about life. This is what He says about marriage. This is what He says about the church. Those, those become convictions. And, and to the extent that those are clear, and then we pursue those, that gap closes. So, so there should be no gap in, in, in what we say. We shouldn't pretend to be something that we're not. But Christians aren't perfect. Um, being a, a, you're not a hypocrite if you acknowledge you're a sinner. I mean, that's the fallacy. It's not perfection, it's direction. Um, in fact, Christians are the only ones that do acknowledge their sin. Uh, the, the passage in 1 John, if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to um, cleanse us of our sins. And um, what is the what? What's the word that's that's used there? Do you know? Um, it's an ing word. It, it literally means we're confessing people. It, it doesn't just. Yes, it means whenever you sin, you confess that before the Lord. But the idea there is Christians are confessing people. <laughs> we're always about confessing our sin before the Lord. We're always honest about our sin. And what's the rest of that passage? If we, if, we, if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's, that's lacking integrity, right? If we say one thing, we live another way, we lack integrity. We lie and we do not the truth. If we, if we say we have no sin at all, it says that we're questioning God's integrity because God says we're a sinner. So that whole thing's about integrity. Confession has everything to do with integrity. And you're constantly doing that. You're, you're constantly acknowledging uh, that, that that was a, uh, a wicked thought. Um, that was a wicked deed. Um, that desire... Uh, tempted me, that desire manifested from temptation into sin, and, and you're confessing that to the Lord. You're, you're a confessing person. So integrity comes from a clear set of convictions and then a lifelong pursuit <laughs> uh, to, to obtain those. Not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Where do those clear set of convictions come from? Um, John MacArthur? That's right. Pastor Brian, Timberlake Baptist Church, Men of Grace and Granite Curriculum. Well, to the extent that they, that they mirror the Word, but the Word is where our convictions come from. It is our authority. It's our sole authority. So how do you get convictions? I mean, if integrity comes from a clear set of convictions. I mean, when I first came to Christ, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. I knew some things that, that were kind of echoes of truth that came from my family, that came from just society around me. Um, even as an unbeliever, I didn't believe in evolution. Um, but but that, I obviously didn't live as if there was a true God of the Bible. <laughs> I would say, ah, oh, that's silly. I didn't come from a monkey. But then I'd turn around and, and, and be a drunkard on the weekend and not even worry about whether I stood before the God of the universe that created everything, um, it, the uh, truth comes from from the Word. I didn't know any of that. So I can remember going to church and just watching what other Christians did. And I learned some good things and I learned some bad things. You remember on Sunday nights whenever we would pray? I didn't know how to pray. Somebody just said, well, it's talking to God. Well, Okay. Talk to God. What do I say to God? You know. Um, well, in one sense, it is as simple as as crying, like a uh, just like a baby, like a child that uh, a brand new baby speaks, and uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, a brand new brand new baby cries, and then and then they learn how to talk, and then then they learn how to speak, and then they grow up, and then they can become more and more articulate in their in their in their in their speech, and so you just begin to grow in what the Bible what the Bible says. How do you get convictions? Well, look at the pop, uh, top of page 32. Truth needs to be added to our mind through Scripture so that our consciences will be properly informed. Integrity comes from a clear set of convictions. It's a rare commodity. So that's why we're here at 6 o'clock this morning pursuing it. And integrity comes from a clear set of convictions. How do you get conviction? Truth needs to be added to our minds. And that comes through the Scriptures so that our consciences will be properly in, informed. Why, why, does, why does it say truth needs to be added to our minds so that the result is so that our consciences will be properly informed? This, this, is, this is really important. Look at this second sentence. The conscience is not the standard, but it is used by God to prick and prod us about what we know is true and what we say is true. A lot of people mistake their conscience for God. 
your conscience, everyone has one, believers and unbelievers. And it is, it is that mechanism that God created you with that responds. It's a responder to the highest truth that, 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 that you have, that, that, that you know. Your conscience can be instructed rightly and it can be instructed wrongly. That's the whole point of Romans 14, right? There's weak and then there's strong. Have you grown? There's certain things in your life that 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 you that that, that you really bothered you um, as a as a young Christian, and and you grew uh, in your understanding of the of the word, and and maybe you're stronger in your conscience now than than you were before. I hope so. That's that's part of growth. Um, have you also had the other? thing happened where you you believed certain things and and the longer that you went in your Christian life you 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 drifted away from some of the moorings and and God has to bring you back to to some of those kinds of things your conscience is not the standard and so truth needs to be added to your mind through scripture so that your conscience can be properly informed um, your conscience is uh, is a responder. It's it's like a it's like a smoke detector. Um, it goes off in your head, in your heart, um, and and it it reacts to uh, the what comes in. It, it it processes. Is that right or is that wrong? Um, and the Bible says that you can take uh, you can take the the batteries out of the smoke detector, can't you? you your your conscience can be seared. You should never violate your conscience. You should never train someone to violate their their conscience. Because if you think something is sin and you go ahead and do it, it to you it is sin. Because you've 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 you you in your heart, whether that's right or wrong, you believed that you were going against God. So what's the answer? Uh, leave them in that state? No. You you bring truth in their mind, you instruct their conscience properly, so their conscience can then respond rightly. Jim, you had a comment? Yeah, um if you do a work study on the knowledge of God, mm-hmm. that's a very interesting uh, path. Because, you know, we don't want our mind conformed to the world, mm-hmm. but transformed by the Word of God. And like you mentioned, you can see your conscience as like a hot iron, but yeah. sinning. But the knowledge of God, God wants us to know Him. Amen. Amen. Truth has a source. It's the Bible. And you bring it into your mind. And from that comes a clear set of convictions, and those clear set of convictions then then guide our integrity. We we close the gap. We begin to live out those clear set of sets of convictions. Now, where is it where it's easiest to live those clear sets of convictions is in a room like this, okay? Out there, uh, in in the the rest of life. That's whenever your convictions are put to the put to the test. Your integrity is is put to the to the test. And the conscience is not the standard. It's used by God to prick and process. What happens when we say we believe one thing in this room, and yet we we're then put to the test and we fail or we fall outside of this room? What happens? Something goes off inside. And says, "Whoa, you said you believe this, but you did that, right? That's your conscience. It's been instructed properly in that." in that case. And when we don't ignore the truth of God in our life, we glorify God as we we live for Him. And then the truth shines through. We ourselves cannot be the source to inform our minds. Listen to this. We cannot be the source to inform our minds. Beware anybody who starts a con- starts the conversation with you. Well, I think. Who cares what you think? Who cares what I think? It really doesn't matter what we what we think in the sense of my opinion. I'm not arguing against you thinking. Um, why can we not be the source to inform our own minds? Well, the Bible tells us we don't know the truth apart from the Word of God. We do not know the truth apart from the Word of God. That's why mysticism is so dangerous. That's why um, emptying your minds and meditating, letting God speak to you apart from the Bible, why that is so dangerous. 
because you do not know truth apart from the Bible. There is no truth apart from the Bible. In fact, because of your, your, your sin nature, your fall, we even suppress the truth that we know because we're fallen people. Um, the truth that we have. Romans chapter 1 says unbelievers are unthankful and the truth that is, that's coming into their life, what do they do with it? They, they suppress it. And that's actually an evidence of, of God's wrath. That's, that's an evidence of, of judgment. So studying the Bible is not just what good little Christians do. It's, it, it's vital for life. You have no truth outside of Scripture. Um, we suppress the truth that we know because we're fallen people. And, and, yeah. Please. You mentioned like when you go out in the workplace or wherever you are, and you kind of you do the opposite of what you profess to believe, and that inflames your conscience. It's good. The converse is also true. Is when I found that when I have to stand for a conviction, or I have to I have to live out a conviction, and it actually costs me something. Yeah. But that's actually the Lord's sort of hammer on that spike that's driving that conviction deeper. That's great. So on the flip side, like every every one of those tests is an opportunity to deepen a conviction too. And every time we stand, the conviction goes deeper um, in our hearts. So if you're thinking like, well, how do I just get beyond just reading the Bible and saying, I believe this? It's like we'll, we'll take stands for these things when it hurts and when it has to actually cost you something. And that's when it becomes precious to you. It's excellent. Um, we have a rope swing in our backyard. Cody Sargent tied it up in the trees laughing because he climbed the tree, um, tied this thing, and it's, there's a knot on it. Uh, my kids are on it. going to get on it. I'm going to tie a good knot. Um, there's this, you know, there's this round, uh, I don't even know what it is. It's not a tire swing, but you buy them at Sam's. They're like a round loop that have like a, a, a mesh net in it. And every single time they get on that swing, the weight of that swing, they swing out, it pulls on that, on that knot and tightens the knot. That's exactly what Clay just, just illustrated for us. He used the, the hammer to the nail. Every time that, that your weight is put on that conviction and you respond rightly, you know, God hammers that conviction deeper and deeper down in your soul. Every time there's weight put on that, that, that rope, the, the knot of that conviction gets, gets, tighter, gets tighter. And sometimes we say, why do, these, why do these tests have to come? Why does life have to be so hard? We talked about that on Sunday. Well, that's, that's part, of the, part of the fall. It's the reason life's hard. But how does God work that for good in our lives? He works that for good. He forces all the difficulty to obey His purposes, which is for you and I to be sanctified, which is pulling on that rope, tightening that knot of conviction that's, that's there. Excellent. This, uh, this next sentence is, is really what, what gripped me. Um, by the way, if you want a good series that kind of lays out the conscience, you can go out on the website. I think we preached about three messages on the conscience. That mess, those messages, along with like two others, uh, series is probably the most response we ever got uh, at at TBC from uh, from from a series. So if you want to to listen to to several messages about that, they're uh, they're they're available to you. This next sentence, what, what motivates me to get a clear set of convictions from the Word? Truth added to my mind, and not just indiscriminate truth, but truth that then forms into uh, a clear set of, of, of convictions. Um, why do I want to do that? Because God does not dwell with those who displease Him. Man, that just gripped my heart whenever I read that. Um, I don't want to displease the Lord. Uh, I, I want I want God to dwell with me. Now, God will never forsake me, <laughs> because Christ is my is my is my stand. I'm in Him. He's my righteousness. When you hit rock bottom, you're still on the rock. the The lowest that you can fall is Christ Jesus, and and that's a pretty high standing, right? He set your feet. 
on the on a rock. But um, I want God to fellowship with me. I want to fellowship with the Lord. Um, I don't want to displease Him. That's my motive. We're children of wrath by nature. The man who lives a life of integrity will never be shaken. That gripped me as well. Why are people blown about? Why why are people shaken? A lot of folks that that come that have anxiety, um, that that are just are just troubled and going in a bunch of different directions in in life you a lot of times you can you'll you'll start peeling the onion back and you'll find that that there's unconfessed sin they violated their conscience and and they've done that over and over and over and their conscience has become inflamed and now it's just going off all the time uh, if the conscience is properly instructed then it will go off when you sin. It will go off when you do the when you do the wrong thing. But your conscience can malfunction in two ways. It you could take the you could take the batteries out of it, and then the house is on fire, and you and it's not doing anything. You're you're in deep sin, and nothing's happening. How, how can a Jeffrey Dahmer or whoever these crazy people do what they do? Well, that, that's 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 how they end up getting there. How does a Christian or how does someone say that they 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 follow Christ? How do they how do they habituate into, into sin well they, they, they keep ignoring that that smoke detector. you go the other way where you can sin and you can know the truth and it is just it's going off it's raw it's like a saddle sore there's there's uh, there's it becomes inflamed and then it hurts no matter what rubs what rubs against it and and the answer in both of those cases is is confession and repentance the balm of the gospel can can soothe can soothe the conscience um, the man who lives a life of integrity will will never be shaken he'll be stable he'll be a stable man um, in in life I want biblical stability he's consistent and he seeks to live a life that walks with God at the high at the highest level level. You want to be consistent? You want to be one? Then that means knowing the truth, believing the truth and then acting on it from from your heart. Integrity is a merging of truth and and life. So Let's look at some practical outworkings of a, of a life of, of integrity. Um, what is the heart of conduct that God can abide with? What does it look like? Well, number one, God can abide with a man who walks with integrity. I'm on page 32. Um, Hopefully you read these biblical passages for study, or if not, it'll be your, your homework this week. So what does that look like? Number one, God can abide with a man who walks with integrity. Um, this is a fair and just man. There's there's equity in the way that he lives and the way that he, he treats he treats others. Um, a lot of jokes about lawyers, politicians, and used car salesmen, right? Um, well, I've actually met some used car salesmen that, that are fair. I think I actually met one in Roanoke whenever Nathan bought his bought his last vehicle. I went, went down there with him and and I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I go into this thinking, all right, I got to watch this guy. He's a used car salesman. And uh, so I read the reviews, and I went down and checked out the vehicle. And because Nathan asked me to, it's his money, he's buying it. But you know, obviously, you want to try to help him any way you can. And and not only did I find the vehicle the way that that he said it was it was, um, but he told me that. That if something broke on it within the first, you know, 90 days, he would fix it. And at least two things happened. 
and the guy actually fixed it. Bill of sale paid. I've got the title. He's got my money. It's in the bank. I live an hour away, and I call the guy up, and the power window in the back, you know, stops working. And he said, yeah, bring it back in. No problem. I'll, I'll take care of it. I told you I'd take care of it. I mean, and honestly, I was shocked. I was thinking the guy's going to say, uh, well, you know, sorry, bud, I, you know, that it's not under warranty. Um, I didn't have anything in writing. The guy did what, what he said. And... Um, I don't think he's a Christian. And listening to him, talking to him, I mean, um, you should be that way. You should be a fair person. Uh, it shouldn't be what you can, what you can get away with. What, if you have the upper hand, you take that road. Um, he's fair, living with equity. He's known. For integrity and truth. Psalm 15, we won't go there because we've, we've read it over and over. He's known for integrity and truth. Whenever, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a couple names. And tell me what, what comes to your mind. Keto Cooper. Comes to your mind whenever I say the name Keto Cooper. What comes to my mind is a godly man. What? Faithful. What else? Generous. Giver. He's, he has a reputation, doesn't he? He's a good reputation. He's a good man. <laughs> um, we, we watched the guy on here. What comes to your mind when I say John MacArthur? What comes to your mind? Huh? Integrity. Integrity, <laughs> Integrity in what way? Faithful to the Word. John Piper. Passionate. Passionate. Isn't that what he says? He's passionate about, about Christ, about, about Jesus. What do you want people to say about you whenever they say Brian Farrell? You want to live a life that when they say your name, they think integrity. They think biblical things. About you, you'll have a strong suit, a strong point, your spiritual gifting, whatever you want to call it, and that will come out in life. Um, when we look for deacons in the church, you know the first thing that we ask ourselves: Who would the congregation think when we said we we, we started this with Mike Walton? When someone says the name Mike Walton, we want the congregation to think servant. So, because they're a deacon, that's what they do. You want somebody to think servant whenever we say this person's name because that's what we're setting them apart. They should already be serving. People should already know them as a servant. And therefore, we're just acknowledging publicly what they're, what they're, already, what they're already doing. You should be known for integrity and, and truth. You don't want to be known as the guy, when someone says your name, that, that there's immediate catch in somebody's heart that... They're going to say, they say, well, I heard him say one thing over here, but I, but I saw him, he, he said this in the pulpit, but, but I've been in his home, and so I kind of know. That's a big problem, isn't it? He understands how to treat people. The way you treat other people says a lot about, a lot about you, <laughs> especially people that can't give you anything in return. That's the whole point of James 1. Uh, caring for the widows and the orphans, they can give you nothing. So that's true religion. It's undefiled before God. It's pure. Because they can't give you anything. How do you treat people that can't, that can't give you um, anything? You come to the offices and you will see people that the shepherds give their time to um, that you might look and go, wow, uh, why are you giving so much time to, to that person? You never say that out loud. Why are you giving so much time to that person? They're high maintenance. They're, they're, they're a basket case. They're, they're this. They're that. And they're spending hours. Why? Because that's what they're called to do. Because you shepherd people regardless of what they can give you in return. Do you do that with, 
with other people. You understand how to treat people. You seek to bless others rather than rather than seeking blessing yourself. That's what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. You you invite this group to Sabbath lunch because they're going to turn around and invite you next Saturday. They just seek to bless. He does not take advantage of people. God can abide with a man who walks in integrity. What does that look like? They're fair and just. And they don't take advantage of people. Somebody turn to Proverbs 6, 12 through 19 and read that for me. Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. Whoever gets there. All right, Steve, read it for us. A worthless person. Excuse me, a worthless person, a wicked man, is is the one who walks with the perverse mouth, mm. who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. What's he describing there? What's the writer of Proverbs describing? Yeah, that's exactly right. Duplicitous person. He does one thing when there's something completely different in his heart. Um, A dishonest... The dishonest always seek their own advantage. Um, They don't seek to bless others. They seek to take advantage of others. And Proverbs warns us, um, be careful not to eat the ruler's dainties. Uh, Be careful when you're dealing with people like that. The ones that are like that, that offer you something will always want something in return. They're like the mafia. They're like the godfather. Yeah, I'll take care of that for you. But when when I need something, I'll let you know. You, there's always a string attached. Don't live with strings attached. Dishonest seek their own advantage. He does not take advantage or dominate others. The way that you yield, I'm sorry, the way that you wield authority has a lot to say about your heart. What do you do whenever you have the power? Will reveal a lot. He does not take advantage or dominate others whenever they can. He's not cruel. The Bible even talks about how you treat an animal can be a revealer of your heart. How you treat your kids, how you treat your wife. He does not use his strength as a hammer. Um... I want a pastor or a preacher or someone sharing the word that I'm listening to to have conviction. I want them to believe what they're saying. Um, but I don't want somebody who just just punches me in the mouth to punch me in the mouth. You, you understand what I'm saying? When the, what, uh, preaching that is that, that, that feels like a hammer. Um, there are times when I need a hammer. There are also times when I need balm. <laughs> There's also times when I need encouragement. How do you use your strength? It goes right along with the advantage, taking advantage. You're not being cruel. He does not desire to gain from others illegally. Um, and why? What's the motive behind all of that? See, he understand who, understands who's in charge. When you have authority, you better wield that authority rightly, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, or whether it's at work, or whether it's in the church, because you got to answer to somebody yourself. Isn't that what the Bible talks about? Slaves to masters, um, husbands, parents, um, you're going to stand before the Lord and answer to Him one day. He's the ultimate authority. 
We're all worthy of God's judgment, and we will all give an account to Him. Whatever is done on earth, there's a record kept in heaven, and you'll give an account one day. You'll stand as a Christian before the Bema seat of Christ. Um, and there'll be a review of what you've done with your life. Um, and we always keep that in mind. That'll keep you from abusing others, abusing your authority. That'll keep you from the integrity gap. That'll keep you from, from taking advantage because God sees, even if no one else does. Any thoughts or comments about any of that? Before we go to two? Yeah? It would be so easy to just hang on that one that says he does not desire to gain from others illegally. Mm. But you can do something legally and still not have integrity. Amen. I totally agree. You have an example? No, we're just checking it right off. Yeah. Um, that you can actually well, you can do the same thing and do it with people. You can people and charge interest. Yeah. And Excellent. the law doesn't limit how much interest you charge. Yeah. You can adjo- you can charge exorbitant interest when, if it's a Christian brother, you shouldn't maybe be charging any at all. Yeah. All right. Or maybe you should be giving a gift. Yeah. Versus the law allows you to do something and you do it. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it doesn't violate the government doesn't mean it won't violate God, right? <laughs> a lot of Christian businessmen live that way. You gotta be careful. It's excellent, Ed. Anything else? Alright, look at two. We're talking about who does God dwell with? Who does he abide with? Where does the the uh God that does not dwell with those who displease him? I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want the aroma of the Lord to to come from my life. I want fellowship with him. God can abide with a man who works righteousness. So now we're on the other side of the coin. He's equitable with all. Let me just springboard off of what, what Ed was saying. Doesn't have a double standard with different people treat person A a lot worse than treat person B. That's right. Uh, you're a business owner. Um, there's uh, movements in our political world trying to force equity with someone else setting the standard of what that equity might be. Um, a Christian who is a business owner desires to be equity, uh, desires to be equitable with all. Now that's between you and the Lord for what that looks like. There's, there's no standard. There's, there's no biblical mandate that you can't be rich. There's no biblical mandate that says um, that uh, the, the the purpose of the gospel is to is to take all the poor and and remove their poverty. It says care for them. It says treat them properly. What is equitable uh, with all? Well, that's something that that you have to decide. But the Bible clearly says that you're to pay a fair wage to your workers. He's equitable. He treats them as he would like to be treated. Um, I can remember I worked with a man whose dad uh, retired at, we were both vice presidents at, at Anthem. And uh, this guy, um, his, his dad was a blue-collar worker uh, from Ohio, um, and he worked in one of the one of the car manufacturing you know plants. I don't remember which one, um, but he retired at just over fifty. That was his goal. He wanted to he wanted to walleye fish, and um, when he was retiring at fifty years of age, he talked about uh, the guys that they were bringing into the plant to replace him. This is a guy who started in the assembly line and had been in the been in the, the been in his whole life. And he, you know, he he grew up through the ranks. He 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 knew exactly what to do. I mean, he he'd earned his stripes. He he knew just about every machine in there, how it works. Probably tore it down and put it back together. And he says, as he was leaving, they were bringing in what he called shiny shoes, 
of these guys from that had college degrees. They were, you know, 22, 23 years old, and and they were coming in as managers, telling these guys that have been doing this for 35, 40 years, or whatever the number was, uh, how to do it. Um, How would you like to be treated? How you treat somebody has a lot to do with how you'd like to be treated. As a manager, um, one of the benefits we look in, uh, in, in the world, a manager who's gone up through the ranks knows what it's like to be an employee, knows what it's like to be on the assembly line before he ever begins to manage those people on the assembly line. They have, they have a better perspective than somebody who just comes in, don't they? You know, see, you're nodding your head. You've worked for managers that have no idea how to do the job that they're telling you to do. Um, treat them as you would like to be as you would like to be treated. He looks to help and not hurt. He looks to help and not hurt. Good number three. God can abide with a man who speaks truth. Uh, Mark, look up Matthew 12:34. Yeah, why don't you do that since he, since he left? Matthew 12:34. Truth telling starts in your inner man. God can abide with a man who speaks truth. Eddie, go ahead. Matthew 12:34. Rod of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's the line. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Truth-telling starts in your, in your inner man. His life matches what his mouth speaks. Now, you can try to mask that for a while, but eventually your heart will manifest and it will eventually come out of your mouth. I can still remember uh, uh, Jerry Falwell saying uh, one of the ways that he knew that Jesus was God was whenever an unbeliever hits their thumb with a hammer, they never say, Oh, Buddha! Or, who do they curse? They curse Jesus. I just saw a woman right out in front of the church last night Somebody ran the red light, and it was like on the sidelines at a at a football game where you can lip read, and you wish you hadn't have been able to, you wish you you didn't lip read the coach. This lady was going by, and I could I, I just saw her mouth. She she screamed the Lord's name in vain at this at this other person. What will eventually what's event what's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. Well, the opposite is of, of the negative is true. Your life can can match uh, what's in your heart. You put the truth in. What will what will be squeezed out in those moments of pressure will be will be Christ. Um, he's consistent in all of his dealings. He is ethically just with all people. He is known for honesty in his inner man. And you've heard this before. Who you are is, is what God sees. Whenever you're, you're alone and nobody else knows, um, that's who you really are. Look at four. God can abide with a man who's not slanderous. Slander ruins others. He does not ruin others by being deceitful. Um, what do you think about whenever we read number four? God can abide with a man who's not slanderous. Slander ruins others. He does not ruin others by being deceitful. Huh? Okay, gossiping, yeah. Bearing false witness. You know what I think about? Um, I think about the Me Too movement. I think about what we watch with Brett Kavanaugh. Um, 
abuse matters, the way that you treat me, we just covered that, right? The way that you treat people that are under your authority says everything about who you are. And God hates whenever we abuse people that are that are under our authority, but also God also hates liars. And um, you have to be able to to bear bear witness and it be it be truthful. Slander ruins others. That's why you have to be very careful with accusations. Um, and you surely don't want to ruin somebody. You can ruin somebody by being deceitful. So the Bible sets up a process for that where there's two witnesses. There's more than one to corroborate. And, and you go through a process. But what does the world say? You automatically believe whoever says anything, right? You have to. You're forced to. Because if not, then, then you, you really don't care about the, you know, the abused or, or whatever else. God can abide with a person who's not slander. Slander is a very, very serious thing. Be careful what you say about others. It can ruin people. Um, yeah. Evident. But just the little insidious things we might say about other people to get their to, to kind of throw their que- their character in question, or um, the way we kind of subtly exalt ourselves over other people when we're talking about them in private. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think I think those are really the the challenging. You know, when you're with your wife and nobody else is around, and you're sort of assessing your day, and just the speech that sort of flows out of that often in my life, if I'm careful comes from a heart of pride that I'm exalting myself over this other person because I want to, you know, whatever motive, whatever's motivating that. And you just have to be so careful. I think that the slanderer is out there, um, but really, you know, start, start my own heart and kind of give that assessment first. But it's, it's insidious. And I think it just, it comes from my own pride. Um, and I think that's why obviously God hates it. And because um, we're, we're exalting ourselves over other people. It's just not not in accordance with reality. You say the real motive behind slander is self-exaltation. You want to tear somebody else down to lift yourself up. Isn't it funny that we always find somebody, I said this yesterday, we find, if we're going to compare ourselves to somebody else, we never compare ourselves to somebody better, we always find somebody worse. You know, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm I'm not a murderer, you know, I'm not a thief, I'm not a child molester, I'm not a whatever. Um, we never compare ourselves to somebody somebody better. We always want to exalt. Yeah, Jim? What's dangerous is sometimes you can use the truth to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you speak may be true, but the motive in my heart isn't to help that person, but to bring them down. That's good. Mm-hmm. Speak that which is edifying. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, I can think of times where, actually, within the last 12 months, the Lord really convicted me of a form of slander, internal slander, to mm-hmm. believe, but... And I find every time that the Lord convicts, not, maybe not every time, but oftentimes the Lord convicts me of a specific area of sin, and I bring it before Him in confession. As I'm praying, my, my mind goes to you know one person or another person or a third person that at some point in the past, recently, or years ago, or whatever, whoever it might be that comes to mind, or it, you know, family member, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's like my mind automatically starts going towards, oh yeah, I remember that time so-and-so said this about me, or so-and-so did this to me. Mm-hmm. And I start building up a case against that person in my mind, and sometimes it's even a fictitious case mm-hmm. <laughs> based on a perception. And it's like, wait a second. No, I'm supposed to be confessing this scenario the Spirit just revealed to me, and here I am accusing mm-hmm. one of my roommates of something right. they haven't even done just because of... Yeah, it's just it's so insidious. Mm-hmm. The Lord, it's really the last 12 months the Lord showed me, look, Chris, this is what you do mm-hmm. at least half the time, if probably more than that, when... You're supposed to be confessing sin that I revealed to you, and you're building up a case against somebody else. So, I mean, internal slander, even if it's it doesn't leave, it's still very destructive. It's good. It's excellent. Yeah. Now, my wife and I have been struggling the last week or two in terms of what, it, what is the wisdom and guidelines about saying something that's true, that, but it, of the failings or the sins of someone else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just because it might be true, there's right. no justification for, uh, for when you share that and not share that. Yeah. What, what it, it takes a lot of wisdom. It does. It does. The, the truth is a two, two-edged sword. It wounds, but it also heals. 
you don't want to bludgeon somebody with it and trying to figure out when to do that, how to do that. Amen. Yeah. My, my son posted this, <coughs> excuse me, on Facebook yesterday. Praise publicly, rebuke privately. Mm. Both praise and rebuke have the same goal, to build up and make stronger. If your rebuke does not build up, it's mere criticism. Mm. If your praise is not specific and true, it's mere flattery. Pretty good. It's really good. Look at five. God can abide with a man who does not do evil. So we go from speaking, we go from truth in the heart in three, to what comes out of the mouth in four, and now we're in doing. He's careful to treat others with love. He hurts no one willfully and does not think of of any way he can hurt people. Well, the heart very easily does that. Somebody hurts you and you can just sit there and ruminate. It's how bitterness forms. You just over and over and over in your mind how that person hurt you and, and what they did. And the next thing you know, you can find yourself thinking about how you can get them back. Even fantasizing about that. He does not retaliate when he's hurt. Well, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. Especially whenever you're right. That's exactly what First Peter chapter 2 says. He is consumed by how Christ treated others. Six, God can abide with a man who does not take up a reproach. He is a man who is careful when hearing news about others. Boy, that is really powerful. He is a man who is careful when hearing news about others. Do you, are you the type of person that it's easy for you to believe the worst about someone else? Or do you automatically begin to parlay in your mind... Well, I mean, this could have been. They, they might have meant that. That's what you do. When you hear something, you it's called giving the benefit of the doubt. Um, don't automatically run um, to a conclusion or drawing a judgment about someone until you hear it all. That's what Proverbs says, right? When the first person comes along and tells their story, they seem right. Yeah, oh, that's horrible. Until another person comes along and then provides additional information. B, he's known for avoiding unnecessary conflict. Don't fight just to fight. When you fight, fight because of a conviction, something that is true, and then fight to the death. Um, but don't be an argumentative man. He does not protect himself so he can hurt others. He is a man who is not spiteful when others are are hurting. Number seven. God can abide with a man who despises a reprobate a man of integrity a man of honesty does not excuse evil in others he calls for God's character to be vindicated God's glory is his focus it's all about God it's it's not about you being vindicated you might be slandered by the world because of Christ we read that on Sunday morning in Mark 13 but you do hate what God hates. How can you be loving and hate sin at the same time? The world says, uh, "What um, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm not saying that. How can you be loving and hate sin at the same time? For us, it's a tightrope. Okay. 
one that we and we need to make sure we're using the, the the word of God to guide our our decisions, our actions in those in those ways. That, what we're saying is not what our opinion is. We're saying what yeah. God has said and told us. Is it loving to excuse evil? Well, it's not loving at all to excuse evil. It's unloving. So you can be loving and hate sin. God is loving and He hates sin. And you're to be an imitator of, of Him. What, what our brothers are bringing out is the way in which you apply the Word to somebody's life calling out that sin... You have to be careful. Just put that in a different light, but as a parent, I'm, if I don't discipline my son, I don't love him. Yep. Scriptures say. So if we're not dealing with sin, we really don't love that person. Right. They, they really go hand in hand. I mean, obviously the way we do that is with grace and kindness and humility, but love compels us to deal with sin, to hate sin. Sin is destructive, so sin is the, the worst thing for that person. So if we don't hate it, it's like, they, they're really hand in glove. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I understand we've got to be careful in our motivations and how we work those things out, but yeah, it's just love for the person is manifested in hatred of, of sin, I think. You need somebody that's constantly bringing the light into your life. They'll, they'll confront you. Um, look at 8. God can abide with a man who honors those who fear God. He respects those who exalt God. First Timothy five seventeen. Elders who work hard in teaching and in overseeing, they're worthy of double honor. You respect those who exalt God. He praises those who love what God loves. So you despise what God hates and you honor those who fear God. God can abide with a man who always walks in truth. He is a man who self-indicts. If you live in such a way where um, you stay under the truth and, and you do have a set of convictions and your conscience is properly instructed, you won't need as many people to come in your life and point out sin because it's already in you and, and you'll self-indict. He admits his own guilt when necessary. When I was growing up, there was a TV show called Happy Days. You remember the Fonz? There was a word he couldn't say. He couldn't say it was wrong. He couldn't say it was wrong. Do you find it's easy to say that you're wrong? That you admit fault? Whenever you're dealing with your wife or maybe your your child, do you use Clay's analogy. Can you tell them? I was wrong. I sinned against you. Forgive me. Um, as a pastor, as a church leader, can you stand in front of your Sunday school class or your congregation and say, I blew it. I was wrong. I need to ask your forgiveness. He is a man who has immovable integrity. He is a, he is a man who self-indicts he is a man who is immovable in his integrity. We read Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. He's a man who allows God to work on him constantly. There's a constant pursuit between the conviction. You have to have the truth come in. Those convictions are formed like concrete. The form is there from the Word. You pour it in. The, con the concrete gets formed, you have convictions, and then you're living that out, and there's a constant pursuit of closing that gap. You're, he allows God to, to work on him constantly. And number 10, God can abide with a man who does not use his job as a tool for hurting others. He holds himself to what the contract says. He does not misuse contracts to make sure he gets a a better deal and that kind of goes back to what Ed was saying it can be legal but it may not be right any final comments I want to be a man of integrity don't you I want to have a clear set of convictions I want my conscience properly instructed 
I want to know the truth, believe the truth, I want to act on it. I want a merger between truth and life. I, I don't want the gap between what I say I believe and what I live to be very wide at all. I know you don't either, so that's why I'm thankful for you. All right, let's pray. Father, there's a lot in our study this morning, and yet one uh, driving principle. Uh, we don't want to be duplicitous men. So I pray that you would root that out of our lives. Father, to the extent that we need to form some convictions, help us. To the extent that the convictions we have have been improperly instructed, that they may come from the world or or there's some error mingled in there, root it out, purify our convictions. And then, Father, uh, help us to to pursue them with all of our heart. When we fail, help us to confess that or confess that to others and then get up and do it again. I pray for these men as they, they leave this room and they have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to live this out. Um, and I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, next week, uh, for this for this week, I would just encourage you, because there are ten on here, I don't know about you, but probably after about five on the list, uh, you know, you, you kind of get the, the, the glazed over. Um, go back and read this list again. Um, and then see tomorrow in your devotions if the Lord brings something something out that that you got overloaded in and, and you couldn't uh, you couldn't get today. Next Tuesday will be uh, a man of moral purity. So, all right. God bless. Have a great day.